I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Art Attack with your host, Lizzie Dastin, art historian, myself, Justin Bua, painter. Uh, today, we're going right into Romar Bearden, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, collage artists and one of the greatest artists because of that of all time. But first, an announcement from our sponsors. <laughs> Thank you so much to Tommy John. Oh, no. And this lead up, I'm supposed to be the sponsor, right? Hello, I'm Tommy John, and we're sponsoring Art Attack. Tommy John, although I do not often wear men's underwear. Why not? Well, I said often. Sometimes I do. Okay. Uh, Recently, they launched a line for women, too. Oh. So everybody, regardless of how you identify, you can wear these incredible undergarments, and you have no no panty lines, nothing. They're very comfortable. And for all new customers, if you go to TommyJohn.com and enter in Art Attack, then you get a 20% discount. So It's really cool. It's actually really good stuff. Yeah, it's great underwear. All of my underwear is Tommy John. So just go get yourself some Tommy John underwear and uh, shut the beef up. Twinsies. And listen, guys, we do this because we love it. We're art historian nerds. Uh, literally, like we live it. This is the life we live. And we really believe fundamentally at our core that art is just one of the most important things in the world. And it's so unappreciated in general by our government (laughs) and the world (laughs) out there. And all you guys love art. And we do this because we love it. So all we ask for you guys to do is just to write a review on iTunes, and you know, just tell us what you think. Just be honest with us. Give us five stars, though. But um, be honest with <laughs> us, and um, don't give us anything less than five stars. Okay, cool, cool. So today, uh, we're going to get into Romar Bearden, uh, who was an American artist. And Romar Bearden was born in 1911, and he died in 1988. And I have loved Romar Bearden since I was a kid. Uh, my old distributor used to uh, sell his work, and so I was exposed to him uh, early on, and really exposed to him in my twenties when I was when I was getting distributed by my distributor, because it was just always around. And what always fascinated me was how powerful his images were, and how I wasn't bored. You know, because a lot growing up in my life, art didn't really speak to me. Art never really spoke to me until I saw, well, art didn't speak to me on the level of where it could relate to my personal experience until I saw the work of Ernie Barnes painting Sugar Shack on Good Times, the TV show Good Times. But then when I saw Romar Bearden, it kind of, it struck another chord in me of like, yeah, I know that world. I know that life. And it is funky and it is distorted and it is weird and it is like crazy. You know, his work is funky and crazy and cool. And that's the real common denominator between like an Ernie Barnes, uh, you know, some of the other artists that I love during the Harlem Renaissance and Bearden. It was cool. And up until that point, even though I love Katie Kowitz and and Anwar Daumier and Corbet and Rembrandt, none of that work was really cool, you know, because it was really talking about the African-American experience in urban life. And it really dealt a lot with, you know, music. And it dealt a lot with just the way 
the characters, you know, the characters and the musicians and the coolness. And so I've just been a fan of his for so long that I'm really honored that we get to even talk about him today. Me too. And I'm glad that you're introducing this theme of the Harlem Renaissance because that is incredibly important to note that Bearden and contemporaries like Jacob Lawrence are painting an African-American experience after the country has finally settled down after the Civil War. And it was a time of great creativity in tons of different disciplines. So we have a creative explosion in poetry and in literature and art and music. And this is when jazz starts to become a popular musical expression. And everybody who was painting and creating at this moment is celebrating an African-American experience. And if you think that just based on the time period after slavery is finally abolished and uh, the end of the Civil War was 1865, so not too, too far in the past, and African-American men finally get the right to vote in 1869. And so it is a tremendously tumultuous era that has just ended. And now we can celebrate the accomplishments of a very marginalized community, and also we can recognize its past. And a lot of Bearden's imagery will include trains. And this is a specific reference to the migration, the great migration that many African-Americans made from the South to the North. And so these paintings, although they are abstracted through the use of collage, there are still narrative elements that have particular reference points. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Bearden's biography because I think this gives greater awareness to his interest in these themes. So Bearden was an athlete and he played baseball and he was on his team in college and then he's very light-skinned and somebody approached him and asked if he would be a part of, oh, and then he ended up being in the Negro League and that's how they called it then, um, So then somebody asked if he would be a part of the White League because at this point there still wasn't able to be mixed racial sports teams. And he was so good and he was so light-skinned that he could pass as white. And he would have to publicly denounce his African-American identity if he took that job. And so he refused. And I think Mm -hmm. then he went in the other direction and he was so overt and explicit in this ideology because it was so important to him and it was so important to promote. Well, so Bearden was from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, grew up in, you know, grew up there in North Carolina, I believe, right, and then went to NYU, right? And he was a, he clearly took in that whole, you know, New York experience. You could feel that New York energy in his work. And I always felt like, you know, he, he is so light skinned that, I mean, there's no way he's not part white. No way. I mean, I want to see an ancestry, ancestry, you know, DNA test, uh, I guess that doesn't matter. He identified as black. No, absolutely. But he is, you know, I always, I didn't even know he was black until I really did uh, research into it. Because if you look at him, he's definitely a light, light, light light-skinned brother. So it's interesting. Uh, And that really is interesting that he really identified uh, intensely. 
with uh, with his traditions and his and his African Americanness because his work is you know is really really potently the African American experience and um, you know I like you know he studied at the Sorbonne in Paris and he toured around Europe he actually met Picasso which is really cool like so he and he was a, he was a smart guy he was a he was an intellectual you know he was a uh, a student of literature a student of philosophy and so it really resonates with his visual depictions because you can feel the the intelligence in his work and it's not just the intelligence of composition and color and design but it's the it's the narratives and the stories that he's telling with figures you know he's really telling some really uh smart <laughs> narrative stories that are just have a have a certain sentimental quality and also a heavy quality and early on when he was painting even his even his uh, oil paintings were really powerful you know his movement his his elongations, his abstractions, and his exaggerations. You know, once again, I make the analogy with Ernie Barnes, and Ernie Barnes is clearly looking at something like a Bearden early on in his work. He's one of those, you know, it's like Thomas Hart Benton. He was able to elongate and stylize those features that were important because, you know, you could stylize anything, and a lot of artists just will stylize a hand just because they stylize a hand, but that doesn't, there's no real reason why you're stylizing it. And I feel like he was really smart and intelligent about why and what he stylized. And the why for me is really this visual linkage to the experience of listening to jazz, because I see so much musical rhythms in his collage work specifically, but also in his paintings. But the way that one collage element will be layered on top of another is almost like the competing sounds of various instruments and different rhythms, staccato. And I feel jazz music when I'm looking at his work. Yeah, you could feel like in you know some of his work it looks kind of Matisse, Matisse-y, but if like if Matisse was black, like if Matisse was cool, that's what his work would look like. <laughs> no, you know? just hold on one second. I'm really glad that you referenced both Matisse, Matisse and Picasso okay. because I think we have to talk about the appropriation of African objects. And I know that we've discussed this a little bit with Mm -hmm. regards to Picasso, but Matisse was victim to it as well. So Mm -hmm. earlier at the turn of the 20th century, a lot of white European artists, they went to museums and they saw African masks and they were really inspired by the forms and the fact that these people, these African craftsmen were able to see such power in a void. It wasn't just power in the physical plane of what was there, but also the simplicity and the elegance of what wasn't there. And this concept of embracing a void really launched cubism. And Picasso did it without any concern for the original context of these masks. It was just an African object seen through the eyes, the lens of a non-African white European guy. And that's really problematic and ethnocentric. And how interesting and how celebratory that now Bearden, as an identified African-American artist, is able to look at this collage aesthetic, something that was appropriated by Matisse and Picasso, and now 
shift it back to an African-American lens. So I love that. I just think that it is such a beautiful full circle moment. Yeah, and he's he's really not afraid to experiment with his medium either. Like, you know, he takes photographs, cuts them out, pastes them on. You know, he'll paint part of it. He'll, you know, I don't know if he did a lot of textiles, like if he actually did like actual textiles, but it seems like he did. He uh, used cloth in some of his yeah, work. Yeah, you could see that. And it's really cool. And, you know, he also did uh, illustrations as well. You know, did the cover of Time magazine. And he, you know, did a lot of work that was very, uh, very centered in the days of the slaves. And just a lot of his work just makes you think. And, and his, and it doesn't like, usually I'm like, oh, I don't know why they're using a photograph there when they could have been painted. You know, that's, that's the purest painter in me. But when I look at Bearden's work, I don't feel like it's cheap. He doesn't cheapify his work by doing that. He really doesn't. He I think feels he does like, it. Like really authentic. Like all his shit is authentic. And that's what really separates Bearden from like 99.9% of all of the, you know, imposters out there. So many imposters out there that are doing such canned work that have just been like, you know, just another facsimile of this dude over here or that guy over there. Or you could say, oh, he's just, you know, he's just doing what Thomas Hart Benton did or he's just doing what Justin Bua did or he's just doing like whoever. <laughs> no, seriously, there's some serious imposters out there who are just really making a career on the backs of artists who have really put in a lot of sweat equity to keep it real and authentic and Bearden kept it authentic. And even more authentic in some respects than the original. So when he uses photography, photography of African-American bodies, for instance, or African bodies, often he would cull these images from ethnographic magazines. And so maybe there's a an, an uncomfortable power dynamic between what we can presume to be a white photographer with a black subject. And so he's recontextualizing and imbuing this power, this figure with its authentic original power. And one of the great, uh, he's also one of the greats who's able to distort the faces. Cause you know me, I love distorted heads and characters and I love the art of, uh, you know, Steig and, and Hirschfeld and David Levine and, and Sebastian Kruger. Some of the, these are some of the, you know, artists who really play with caricature, the Daumiers, the Gustave Dores, but he does it in a different way. He does it in kind of this fractured, chaotic way, but yet his characters feel really emotional. You know, he takes an eye and rips it and puts it down. Then he takes a picture of a hat and rips it and puts it down. Then he paints the lips, right? And then he takes a photo of an ear and he compartmentally puts together the structure of the planes of the head in a distorted way. And there's, a, there's emotion there. Like, how can you get emotion from that. Usually you wouldn't. You just get a real weird hodgepodge of features that come together and it's like some burnt and Ernie type shit. But it's like, boom, this is not cartoony. This is realistic. This is emotional. This has a spiritual, authentic quality. And then the way he's able to compose those fractured characters in an urban environment, whether it's musical or industrial. I mean, he played with all aspects or if it's, an, or if it's a time period piece, He's really able to play with it. And my favorite works of his are always his scenes. He creates these scenes of like people walking on the street, musicians playing, people hanging out by the lampposts with, you know, the garbage cans and the brick walls and the street scenes. These are really highly thought 
out compositions, again, which I talk about compositions, as the highest level of creation in art. The highest level of artist is an artist who's going to be a really good composer. And he's his own kind of composer. He's not doing these Tiepolo giant, you know, scenes with clouds and sky and, and light. He's not even dealing with that. He's dealing with just environmental things that are pretty much straight on. Perspective doesn't go above. It doesn't go below. There's no aerial point of view. There's no anti point of view. It's pretty much the horizon line is right in the middle all the time, for the most part. And who cares? Because he's able to do it and keep your interest and keep your eye moving. Yeah, he doesn't experiment in that way. But when you say composer, that is really the perfect term because it's on, looking at a Bearden is almost like a synesthesia experience because I hear so much. And so he's composing sounds mm -hmm. using not notes, but using what he sees and using this intense visual language that has a very pointed narrative. And he successfully synthesizes all of this. And so he... I think is a Harlem Renaissance master because Absolutely. when we go to the word Renaissance, he's doing so many things. He isn't just trying his hand at painting or mm. collage mm. or sounds. He's doing all of it and throwing it together in a really very elegant and sophisticated way. Yeah, he actually, you know, when I think of his work too, I think about like at least how I dream. They're like these fractures of images that kind of come in and out of your imagination and they're flooding your synapses, and you just kind of wake up, and you're like, yeah, I had this dream, and there's these guys on the street, and this girl was kissing this guy, and this guy's <laughs> playing a trumpet, and the other guy's hanging out by this fire hydrant. It's like, oh, shit, I think I just was talking about a Ramar Bearden painting. <laughs> but you know, I, that, but that, that kind of fractured other world feeling where he takes off from this world but brings you into another reality. And, 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 he, and he has done cartoons. You know, this is not, you know, this is a guy who's coming from a place of experience, who's had a relatively formal background uh, training in terms of art and understanding of design. I mean, he's a real, like, you forget about his art. Let's talk about Ramar Bearden as a designer. He's a really good designer. Let's talk about, you know, Ramar Bearden as a, as a collagist. He's a really good collage artist. But I don't think he's really good. You know, I'm saying that, you know, not literally, but figuratively. He really is, I think, him and David Hockney, to me, are the greatest collage artists ever. And when you think about collage as an art unto itself, you have to put Ramar Beard in there as perhaps the GOAT, the greatest of all time, I think. And David Hockney, he does some really cool, funky stuff. But if I look at collage artists over, at least the collage artists that I've ever seen, I don't think anyone is as good as, as Bearden. And that is his art. That is, the, that is the truest form of his art, his collages, not his paintings and his other stuff. It's his, it's his collages. Yes, I agree with that. And I'm so glad that you just said that GOAT stands for greatest artist of, or greatest of all time because you say GOAT a lot and I have no idea what it means. Oh, uh, really? Did you? <laughs> None. I'm like, I'm well, going to start saying Yama. <laughs> what does not, that mean? Like Llama, oh. double L, oh. silent. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just going like, to start yeah, saying yeah, weird. Goat, I'm course. just going to start saying weird shit to you. So you're like, oh wow, that's incredible. <laughs> what does that mean? And I was like, I've I figured I it was some cool no hip hop term that I just didn't know because yeah, he's the greatest of all time. Yeah, he you is. Know, to me. I totally see that. And I 
also love that his art or that he wanted his art to be accessible and not just available to people who had access to a lot of money. And he really was thoughtful about creating prints during his lifetime so that the price point could be lowered for anyone who was interested in his work. And that is something that not all artists do is just thinking about both sides of their market and to make his imagery accessible for everybody is a pretty stunning gift. Absolutely. This, this, uh, if you don't know Ramar Bearden, you got to check him out. And if we, if I just, you know, if we just put you onto him, then you just, you just got blessed. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> don't, don't thank me. Write a comment and you could thank me there because, uh, Ramar Bearden is, he's a, he's a giant. He really is. Like, there's, it's hard to say that because, you know, usually when I talk about giants, I'm talking about these like monster painters, you know, like the Jerichos and the Delacroix and the Degas of the world or the Eakins. But we're talking about a collage artist who is just one of those guys who's just speaking on many layers. He's just a layered painter, which ironically is what he's doing with collage. I did, Do you know how work, how big he worked, like the scalability of it? Because I usually just, I'm from very familiar with his prints, but I cannot tell you that I've even seen an original. Have you? You know, that is a really interesting question because I don't think that Bearden is as visible in survey collections as he should be. And I believe I saw one show of his at the Studio Museum in Harlem ages ago, but it was of his prints or his smaller work. So I'm not sure. And that is illustrative of a very important blind spot that he may be overlooked and he shouldn't be, that he's expressing these deeply trenchant themes mm-hmm. of African-American narratives at a time when we're finally starting to be supportive of these creative gestures. Yeah, I mean, God damn, why is he not at the Met? Like, why I want to walk into the Met and just see a beard. And, and don't get me wrong, he's very famous and he's very successful, but to the level, and, and also he... Let's talk about how prolific he was. Once again, much like we spoke about with Homer, he didn't do one great painting. He did many great paintings, not a one-trick pony. A lot of artists have that one painting, and that's it, you know, and then they kind of go off. And, like, to me, and I hate to say this, but I'll admit it, like, to me, George Bellows, he's got staggered sharkies, he's got his boxing early work, you know, that is very emblematic of a certain time and place in American history with his Ashcan art. And then he goes into his Fovis trip and just like, Oh, come on, dude. Like you got lost. Like you just going, you're lost. He was like a, for me that, that being said, Bellows was a great artist, but he didn't get better and better and better and better. And I look at Bearden's work and he went through so much with his life, with his own personal life and his his studies of philosophy and literature and going to the Sorbonne and going, you know, being in the army and being a professional athlete and all that stuff. His experience really plays an important role in the subject matter and his paintings. And you could see that his, his growth is really vertical. An artist like a bellows to me, it not only went laterally personally for me, it took a big dip and Winslow Homer, you see his growth is vertical, 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 or you get artists like Picasso 
who is just changing all the time, all the time. He's not a one-note person. So you look at uh, Bearden's work, he's getting better and better and better in his career, and his work is becoming more sophisticated, more refined, and more complex, and more distinguished, and more just really fine art. And it's vulnerable, and it's transparent. And Mm. I think those two energies are what makes his work so successful for me because I I feel the pain that he experienced and everything that he was trying to include and finally give voice to that had for so many years prior just been hideously marginalized. Mm. Guys, Ramar Bearden, if you don't know, now you know, suckers. Peace. <laughs>